Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain why Williams signed George Russell and ask how good the F2 Championship leader really is. Formula 2 Championship leader George Russell will step up to F1 with the Williams team next season in a deal announced on Friday. This will make him the third British driver on the 2019 grid, along with Lewis Hamilton and McLaren's Lando Norris, and means that after a season where, rightly or wrongly, Williams has faced criticism for not having the strongest possible driver lineup, it's now signed a driver who unquestionably is regarded as having star quality. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to discuss F1's latest newcomer first is Scott Mitchell. Now, you've had a chat to George Russell uh, since his his deal, so he must be thrilled with getting his big break. Yeah, he's absolutely uh, he's absolutely buzzing. Uh, he's obviously very excited about the prospect of stepping up to F1. I think he's also excited about the prospect of stepping up with Williams. He's going to be the first full-time Brit at Williams since Jensen Button. That's pretty cool footsteps to be following in. I uh, probably find it a little bit different to when Jensen stepped up for for F1 with Williams in 2000 but George knows all about the history he knows the the challenge that's coming he's excited motivated and I, I think he's also concentrating on seeing out the F2 title as well he's not he's, he's too switched on to, to forget about that but I, I, overall he was uh, he, he was a pretty excitable guy yesterday and also joining me is Autosport Magazine editor Kevin Turner. Uh, now, along with Scott, you were part of the judging panel that gave George Russell the McLaren Autosport BRDC award back in 2014. So it's great to have another award winner in F1. I think it'll be up to seven who've raced in F1 when the Australian Grand Prix starts next year. Of course, Norris as well is a, is a previous winner. So that, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a bad strike rate, is it? I mean, that's out of, I think, 29 winners. Um, and you wouldn't expect to find an F1 driver uh, every year. That's just not how it happens. But even the especially, ones, that, especially when you consider that some of the ones who haven't made it are people like Dario Franchitti, who uh, who didn't do badly. Yeah, in absolutely. The US. Yeah, World Sports Car Champions, Le Mans winners. Um, yeah, as you say, Dario with his IndyCar success. So I'd say probably a good two thirds to three quarters of the winners have have made you know pretty impressive professional careers. But um, to get Lando and George both in uh, for next year, and they're both winners of the award within the last four years, is um, yeah, it's great for us. And he's also, George Russell, not the first Williams driver from Kings Lynn, which I'm quite impressed by. Any takers? Williams race driver? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Kev? Ricardo Patrese? <laughs> <laughs> a good guess. No, no go on. Quite Ricardo Patrese. Martin Brundle, of course, uh, who did a yeah. one-off in 88 in place of uh, Nigel Mansour, who was ill. I think it was Spa, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And then, of course, John Louis Schlesser raced uh, at Monza after in that same seat with famous consequences in the clash with Ayrton Senna. So there we go. That's a complete tangent, but I quite enjoyed it. That's what these autosport podcasts are all about, isn't it? Exactly, me going off on a tangent and amusing myself. That's the uh, that's the main thing. Well, let's actually get on with business. Now, Scott, George Russell always said he was confident of getting a place on the F1 grid next year, and Mercedes had made some positive noises. He always knew he had to get the job done in F2. He, he should do, because he's got a hefty lead over Alex Albon heading into the Abu Dhabi F2 finale. But how has this all come about? Because there were points in recent months where it looked a little bit dicey about whether he'd, he'd get a drive at all yeah it, it, it did but I, I actually think that George was more of a like the Schrodinger's cat of the F1 driver market he was simultaneously never in or out of the frame anywhere it was really difficult to judge his situation we had someone like fellow Merck protege Ocon and Esteban Ocon was losing drives left right and centre booted out of Force India it seems uh, failed to negotiate the deal that looked on the table for Renault then fell out of uh, McLaren contention as well said that Williams was his last resort but he's not doing Williams he's, it, obviously George, George has taken that seat and it's unlikely Ocon will join him but we never had that with George we never had that okay well it looks like he's seriously in the frame here oh actually he isn't it was just more circumstantial it was like okay well presumably Ocon is number one on Merck's pecking order um, and then sort of they'll slot Russell in somewhere else if they can and then when Ocon's options were drying up it was like oh actually it doesn't look too good for George, but what's really impressive is he actually instigated this Williams process back in July, calling Paddy Lowe, the chief technical officer at Williams, who he knows from when Paddy was at Mercedes before, and said, I, I want to drive for your team. Can me, you and Claire have a have a chat, talk about this? And it's it's gone from there and it's it's been you know, working away in the background on this. George has been extremely successful in F2 this year, more wins and polls than any other driver. He's a, he's a guy where, you know, you look at someone's campaign like that and you think by, you know, on merit, this person should get an F1 shot. It's obviously amazing news that Russell has got that because he, he clearly deserves it. As you alluded to it before, Ed, maybe the only surprise is that it's come with Williams, a, a team that hasn't quite picked the strongest possible driver lineup in the last few years because of, uh, for mainly financial reasons. Well, that's certainly something I think Williams are quite enthusiastic about having a, a real hot shoe. You know, both Lance Stroll and Sergio Sorokin have, have got better junior category records than people tend to think they are. Stroll won European F3. Sorokin was a race winner in GP2 and in Renault 3.5. But George Russell is a, is a real rising star, both a fast driver and an, an intelligent driver. So very positive for Williams, isn't it, Kevin? A good, a good declaration of intent, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've, I've I'm sure Scott was probably more with his finger on the pulse than me, but I was quite surprised by that. I thought we were going to have another year of oh, so-so Williams driver lineup. So I think it's really great for them to get George in there. You know, he's he's got a not only has he got a more stellar junior record than either of the two incumbents, but because uh, Stroll's record was good, but he then jumped from F3 to F1, which I think with hindsight has probably been part of his problem. So Rockin didn't do the jump, but didn't have such a stellar career. So George has kind of ticked every box he's got experience with. Uh, Mercedes as well, the absolute top dog. So it's looking looking at the, the drivers available. I think Williams have gone for, for probably for the best option. It's nice because with with Williams, you, they've obviously had this uh, really roller coaster the last couple of decades, haven't they? Going from you have your back to back titles and then two winless seasons, the BMW years that are sort of almost but not quite, and then big big drops in form picks up again starts to tail off it's absolutely bizarre the amount they've packed into the last 20 years or so has been pretty incredible so to have something now that's you know it's a british driver it's a proper highly rated driver as well they're they're trying to turn things around they understand what, what they've done or they think they understand what they've done wrong someone like paddy Lowe involved who has an amazing track record it it's I know we've heard this before, this sort of second coming of Williams or third, fourth, fifth, sixth coming of Williams and the the revival that never quite happens, but at least it feels like everything's in place now, which is a nice story. Well, it reverses the slide, doesn't it? Because they lost Bottas, which wasn't their fault, but they you know, they lost Bottas when Nico Rosberg retired. Have they had a tremendous won- profit, at least? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that lost them their benchmark. Then Massa, obviously, was sort of brought back. You know, well, how good was Massa? But he was you know, experienced guy. I think, well, okay, he's doing a solid job this year. 
how much of the deficit to the field has been the car, how much of it has been the drivers. You just really don't know, and they probably don't either. So although George isn't an established guy in the way that Bottas or Massa were, you'd like to think that he'll have... Yeah, you know, a little bit more more pace uh, once he's you know got got his uh, feet under the table. I think that is an important thing for Williams having a driver who they know the level at, even though he is a is a rookie. That has been difficult at times this year because you kind of can benchmark Stroll against where he was against Massa the previous year, but Stroll will also have got better this year. And I, th- I think Stroll actually on some weekends has performed very well, and on other weekends he hasn't performed quite so well. So you know, being able to tell exactly where you are. I mean, in terms of how much they're not last in the constructors championship because of their driver lineup i think that's that's fairly clear could they have done a tiny bit better and picked up a couple better results with a stronger driver lineup potentially but i think it, it would be wrong to say that it's entirely that it's, it's the driver's fault but in terms of are they getting the absolute maximum out of the car probably not absolutely but that's that's the difference as i see it between mclaren and williams this year is that mclaren know absolutely every time alonso is going to be at or very near the you know, the performance potential of that car so they've got a very good reading of where they are whereas I'm not convinced that Williams have got that I see it as a universally positive thing for Williams signing Russell because you've got the the galvanising effect of we've signed the or okay I don't want to jinx him but you know they should be signing the F2 champion and the GP3 champion they're signing a guy who has done what Charles Leclerc did before stepping up to F1 that's the sort of company Russell keeps in terms of his, his recent record um so there's absolutely no doubt that the team's in a in a good place because okay it, this this will probably come a, a financial hit for for Williams they're losing Martini they're losing uh, Stroll as a driver and the backing that he comes with they're replacing him with a driver who doesn't bring that backing so there will be a financial hit but that will come with the knowledge that they're putting a driver in who represents bigger and, and better things not settling for for something corporate or financial it's to, you know we're it's a team to go racing and you've got a proper racing driver in the car now and then that and he's a really driven and intense almost to a fault as a driver in terms of how relentless he is with the team with development with improvement in himself and in the people around him so I, I just see this being one of those situations where you can imagine there's a proper tangible impact it will have on the team at the track back at the factory sort of the best of both worlds of the drivers I've got at the moment he's going to probably have bigger peaks than Sirotkin so sort of stroll levels of performance like that but he's got strolls le- uh, Sirotkin's level of dedication so I just yeah as I say I think it's win 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 for for Williams on uh, in, in signing George I guess the main challenge will be what level the car is at next year could do with being a little bit more competitive for Russell to be able to show what he can do and I think to be fair to Williams there's quite a in-depth process of soul searching going on there are a number of weaknesses that were slightly shrouded that they'd missed out on before and I think Paddy Lowe, who who joined the team last year, he said he kind of realised how big a step there was to take to get a team like Williams up to the level of what he was used to with with Mercedes. They were quite ambitious with their car, with the complexity of it. There were a few mistakes made in the decision-making process, some areas where the R&D wasn't quite as deep and thorough as perhaps he expected it to be. So I do think there's a good chance of Williams stabilising and and doing a little bit better next year. And they don't need to do that much better in order to be a handy, relatively regular points contender which is kind of what we need to be for a driver to make an impression yeah that's what George will need won't it if you're in that well we've seen it with with Leclerc this year we were worried coming into this year given where Sauber were in 2017 that he'd just be sort of tooling around at the back and just racing Ericsson but actually they've made lots of progress and gone right into that midfield fight and he's been able to impress from there so what you hope for is is exactly the same with um you know with Williams and Russell next year well Williams got it so badly wrong this season it forced them into this deep analysis, didn't it, Ed? You've got a situation where they 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 look at, right, what was wrong with our tools? What were wrong with our staff? What was wrong with our processes? Where, where did we get this wrong and how did we get it so badly wrong? And you can't... It's difficult to see how with the people they've got there and the resources that they have, the way they can improve things, that they can do as bad a job on the 2019 car as they did with this one. It's ultimately down to processes and the way the way things are done the way you know if you look at for example a wind tunnel and your cfd stuff it's all about generating data you generate data and then what you do with that data is you have to understand it analyze it work out what's significant sort the quality data from the noise etc so it's not about data giving you the answers data gives you the information from which to divine divine the answers and i think 
it's all about the process of how you how you do things. I don't think it's fundamentally about revolutionising the kit or whatever they've got. You know, they've, they've got a decent facility. You know, it's not Mercedes or or Red Bull because the amount that's been invested there is is stunningly good. But they've got decent kits. So I think it's just about the way they're approaching things, the decision making process. You know, the things they did like the the undercut side pods they've had this year. That decision making process told them that was a good move, but actually it's not worked, and they've kind of admitted that. So fundamentally, if you can make sure that your analysis and your understanding of what you're trying to achieve and what you have achieved is stronger and more robust, then your decisions will be better and it's all spirals from there. So there'll be there'll be a test in next year's car in whether they've sold that. If they if they're in the same situation next year with a car that's a bit unstable and has got some pretty serious problems, then uh, that's going to be very, very bad news because they have done a lot of a lot of work on that. Uh, let's have a little bit of a look at Russell himself and his his qualities. Kev Let's go all the way back to 2014 when he won the McLaren Autosport BRDC award. What were the qualities that that won him that award? Well, it was quite an interesting year that year because uh, he was the BRDC F4 champion there. And we were sort of uh, interested to see how he would get on because that was kind of the new kid on the block as far as championships are concerned. You know, you know that people come through the who are coming through the Formula One Euro Cup, they're always likely to be the benchmark at that level because that is that's the highest level. The drivers come in really well prepared, so it was a nice experiment to see how a BRDCF four driver would do. And as it happens, probably good for BRDCF four. George was 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 pretty special and um, we got a hint of it then partly partly through his pace um but i mean that to say that well he won it because he was quick is obvious when you know there's never going to be a slow winner um but for me what struck me was his um his maturity outside of the car which again sounds a bit of a cliche but he he just thinks about things he doesn't shout and rave but he gives very sensible answers to things he thinks about what he's doing um and that's what really what stands out in my mind from that year and we've seen it carried through into F2 this year when ART have sometimes not had the car where they need it to be and he's worked away and come out and got the result the next day so yeah I think it's it's that intelligence really that's, that's sort of really stuck out what uh, what I remember most from from that year and that, that shootout was was George's performance in the DTM car he had the the, the setback went out on track I think he managed one flying lap and then and then uh, basically had to 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 call it a day there in the DTM he should have had a, a little bit longer um, and I think we got him back out but actually the lap time he'd done in his one proper flying lap before that was just was so good it was uh, it put him ahead and it was like well actually he doesn't need to go back out that's it and it was really impressive to to, to see someone get in that situation so challenging especially when you're 16 he's a young he was the youngest um award he was the youngest finalist at the time and the and by extension the youngest winner at the time so f- to to go and handle that and just pump in that lap time for me that was like that was proper that was really special yeah we see it don't we uh scott the the, the real proper guys tend to be able to just go out and bang in the time they don't tend to have to tool around for a day and a half to work up to it they just go out and they do it that's that's one of the most consistent things i think we've seen with most of the winners lando norris is the same dan tixon was last year you know they just go out and they're they're there and it wasn't a weak year either they had uh we had alexander albon um, we've just been talking about as a race winner in F2 himself and Ben Barnacote who was highly raced at the time Formula 1 Euro Cup front runner um, and has obviously gone on to be a you know, successful GT driver so it wasn't and by rights would have had a longer more successful career in single seaters but made the switch to GTs early didn't he Ben so yes yeah. it, was a, it was a really good but field I remember when we picked the final we were thinking oh, it doesn't matter who wins uh, whoever whoever wins from this crop is going to be really good absolutely I mean there are times where one driver stands out and makes the job easy and this year wasn't that in the sense that uh, George wasn't head and shoulders above the others, but I don't think that's because he wasn't that good. I think it was just a good top three that year, and he still, you know, I think we were we were pretty firm with our decision by the end of the by the end of the two days. But it was it was a good it was a good group. Yeah, it was definitely the fact that he was. It wasn't just he was really quick in all three cars. It was the fact that he came in with less experience than anyone else. He's too young to even drive a road car, and and absolutely nailed it. And uh, yeah, one of those moments where you think, okay. I think we've got someone here who's uh, when you see what he's like off track as well as on it we've got someone here who could be the real deal and he's backed that up hasn't he with GP3 and F2 he's gone racing through the ranks in the way that those kind of rising stars that have really got something about them tend to do he's not stayed at one level for very long testament to that sort of relentless desire to improve and the way he's able to to sort of work out what the weaknesses are and, and, and what needs to be better is by his standards the two years he had in European F3 weren't quite up to it I mean he won races and he sort of faded from title contention in year two but he didn't have that standout championship challenge and cons- 
considering he's about to make it three championship successes in five seasons by his standards, that's a bit below par. So to bounce back from that, step up to GP3, step up to the Pirelli tyres, step up to a bunch of new circuits with less track time, win GP3 as a rookie, win F2 as a rookie, I, I just think it's... Uh, I think he deserves all of the credit and all of the plaudits he's getting. What, what I like about this is we've got the these the three up coming up and coming Brits. Two of them got into a film with Lando Norris, uh, now Georgian, obviously Dan Tickson possibly uh, coming up in a year or two's time. And they're they're three quite different personalities. You know, Lando's kind of the prodigy; everyone knows he's won everything and uh, on his way up. Dan is the explosive firecracker character of that trio. George is probably the most understated, but arguably the most rounded already I would say when he arrives in F1 it'd be really interesting to see how those three develop as they actually get to the pinnacle uh, the interesting thing we should say about his, his F3 campaigns obviously did F, steps into F3 in 2015 uh, with with Carlin he finished sixth in the championship won a race the following year he was third in the championship and although you say he did fade from championship contention he was kind of the best of the non-Prima drivers because it was uh, Lance Strolling from Maxi Gunter wasn't it in, in 16 Prima are a very, very, very good team and as a high tech, but obviously Prima was kind of the powerhouse. So I guess we have to sort of. And high tech was new as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, I, I think we have to kind of treat that as a, as more successful perhaps than the superficial number suggesting. Obviously what he's done in GP3, winning it in 2017 for ART and then presumably winning F2 barring a disaster in, in overturning in Prima in F2 as well. Yes, exactly. So getting, yeah. his, getting his revenge. But he, he's certainly shown that that kind of progress, and it does seem, Scott, that that, as well as the speed, that sort of intelligence of approach seems to kind of emerge from him. I think that's something that's impressed Williams as well, that he has got that capacity to learn and just not not make life more difficult than it than it needs to be. Well, I think he's learned from that because back in F three, especially in the first year, I think there were a couple of times where he was perhaps a bit guilty, perhaps guilty of thinking about things a bit too much just a bit okay well in this situation why don't you just go out and drive it why don't you just sort of stop trying to make everything 100% perfect and and he's found that balance between how hard you need to work and how fine margins and fine details can can have big big consequences in, in your favor or against you with that right okay this is what I've got to work with I'm just going to go out and nail this 100% and and get the get the get the maximum from it, and that as you mentioned earlier, Kev, that's was has been the linchpin of his F two run so far. Claire Williams has already pointed out that in the short time they've had him at Grove and and and, and seen him, they've, they just see this really intense, determined character who just won't rest, basically. And and and, Will, and Williams need that. They need a driver that's not just going to it won't just be happy to turn up in his rookie year and sort of make up the numbers and get the experience. George is going to want to go there and make the sort of impact that Leclerc's made this year at Sauber. Uh, it's it's a good environment for Russell to be going into. Williams is in transition. Williams gets a driver that is that it knows, similar to what you were saying with uh, Alonso at McLaren, with a driver that will be near to the maximum of the car. I, it's just it is universally positive and and it is such a far cry from what Williams had at the start of this year when they announced Sir Rockin would partner Stroll that it's it almost feels like a completely sort of different time. It's amazing that this is happening only eight months after that. And we should also say that Williams have been confident enough to put him in to the race seat without actually having tested him themselves. Yes, he's driven for Mercedes, he's done a little bit with Force India, but he's never sat in a Williams. They could easily have said, oh, maybe we'll put him in the tyre test just to make sure at the end of the season as opposed to Abu Dhabi tyre test. But they've been confident enough and happy to, to, to let it happen, which say they've been convinced, presumably by what they've been told, largely by Mercedes and what they've seen, that this is a guy who is the real deal. Well, I was going to say, it's got to be, you know, if, if Mercedes is committed and sure, then that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good sign. You know, he's done. He's done. Uh, he's done a bit of running in the Mercedes F1 cars. And he had not gone for the spectacular times that we've perhaps seen elsewhere. But I think he, again, it's that kind of seeing the bigger picture. He doesn't have to go in and smoke in a time that makes everyone think, "Wow, he's amazing." He's working through the program. He's doing the job. He's working hard, getting getting himself ready as well um, for when the when the opportunity comes along. He also did the FP1 outings, didn't he, with Force India last year, and he impressed the team with his attitude. They wanted to work more closely with him. See, so that team's been through quite a fair bit over the last few months so I think maybe get the opportunity there that he was expecting but another example of just how 
level-headed George is and, and how he's able to sort of assess what's best for him and, and how to get the most out of a situation. His focus this year has purely been on F2. OK, he's done a little bit of testing for Mercedes. He drove for Force India earlier this year as well. But, for example, it was supposedly his decision not to run in FP1 at Monza for Force India because he had the F2 stuff to focus on and he didn't want to do it. And he only wanted to do something on a Friday that he knew would have a significant impact on him for the following year. So the fact that he hasn't done any Friday running this year, whereas McLaren needed to put Lando in the car to see how he handled the pressures of a Friday and, and, and that Grand Prix environment before announcing him, it, it just shows that everything Russell's done up to this point has impressed the right people. And F, you know, motorsport's a small world, F1's even smaller. The F1 paddock is absolutely tiny. And word travels fast. If you impress people, that filters around. If you prove yourself to be someone that people maybe don't want to work with, that that also travels. And okay, you might have the odd person who thinks, "Oh, bloody hell, that George Russell is a bit, uh, is a bit flat out, isn't he? He's a bit, he's a bit intense. He'll work you into the ground." I think that's a pretty good uh, criticism, if you can call it that. That's what world champions do, isn't it? Yeah, and and I think it's uh, it's obviously. Same similar situation with Lando at McLaren. Dangerous to get too carried away with whatever he does next year because the team is a fallen giant and trying to work out how it rebuilds. But we have big expectations for all of the right reasons, and I see no reason why George won't go in. And you know he's replicating this Leclerc story arc, isn't he? Over the last couple of years, I see no reason why George can't go into that car next season and do the job that Leclerc's done this year. Yeah, and he's he's put himself in that position to get that sort of promotion like Leclerc's got because you can see in a year or two's time, or you know, if, if Bottas goes, or if Lewis decides to retire, if Hamilton retires at the end of 2020, then there are going to be seats opening up high up the grid, and he'll be nicely placed uh, there, but possibly in better place than Lando in that respect. Obviously, it depends what what opportunities come up, but yeah, he's, I think he's played a played a good card there. And it'll make next year very interesting from a a rookie driver's perspective because obviously Lando and George Russell, and also Antonio Giovinazzi, who has started two Grand Prix for Sauber, but he's effectively a rookie in at Sauber. So there's three high-quality drivers, and for all the complaints about how difficult it is to get an opportunity in Formula 1, we've got three drivers who are high-quality getting onto the grid next well, year, so that's positive. And the whole driver market is now fascinating. Next year, we will have a very different-looking grid. The, the, the driver market, three, four months ago, if you'd said this is going to be what happens, everyone would have gone, not a chance. Yeah. There have been so many twists and turns and then it all sort of started with the Ricardo to Renault move, which wasn't which which was a bit of a surprise. And then it created all these knock on effects that have influenced just about every driver and set the destiny for what happens to Pierre Gasly, to Sainz, to Ocon, to Russell. It's it's so, been absolutely amazing. Am I right in saying that it's just Mercedes and Haas that are gonna have the same driver lineup next year as this year? Yeah. Yes, I mean that that's pretty remarkable. Correct. It was the last yeah, time you yeah. had that amount of change going on. That's great because you can have lots of different storylines and, and and ways to grade the drivers. Basically, drivers moving around is good. Yeah, it, it, it's nice to see different drivers in different places. You see them up against different teammates and seeing people like Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly getting their shot in in top cars, and then the the, the rookies, the sort of next in line to come through. And it, it's good to keep pressure on the established ones. And actually, if you look at it in terms of old hands, there's there's not actually that many left. Um, no, if I'm Kimi Raikkonen's the kind of outlier, but then you're sort of looking at drivers like Lewis Hamilton as the as the next most experienced, and Roman Grosjean, and people like that, and even Sebastian Vettel. So it's there's kind of been a little bit of a, a sort of stealth transition there, hasn't there? It's it's going to be really really interesting to see how Hamilton sort of responds to this because okay, these guys aren't going to be uh, challengers next year, maybe with the exception of Leclerc at Ferrari and possibly Verstappen and Gasly at Red Bull on occasion. Over the next couple of years, you're going to see this crop of young drivers emerge as, as more regular threats at the front of the grid. And Hamilton strikes me as the sort of person who want, would want to stick around a little bit longer and take those guys on, see if he can use his experience and his wiliness and, and his obvious retaining speed to, to, to take on that next generation and win. Well, we saw those comments about Max Verstappen last year, didn't we, about, oh, he's not quite sure, uh, you know, you can see he's the coming guy, but he's not used to racing him and it's, you know, he's going to have to raise his game to meet the challenge. You kind of see he relish, he does like a fight, Lewis, you know, for all the races that he, you know, in the previous, you know, pre-2017 rule changes where he sort of disappeared down the road. I think he does like a good wheel-to-wheel scrap. And you have to say this year, whenever he's been in one, he tended to come out on top. So I'm sure, he, yeah, I'm sure he'd love to fight whoever it is that's, uh, you know, next year, 
I'm sure we'll have Leclerc to uh, to deal with in the Ferrari and the year after that, you know, maybe, maybe some uh, more newcomers. Well, we'll come back to this discussion in just a moment, but first something for those who enjoy a little bit of gaming out there. Team Order Racing Manager. Ever wanted to manage your own Formula 1 racing team, build a successful car, issue tough team orders when needed? Now you can with Team Order Racing Manager, available on Google Play and the App Store. Give it a try, Team Order Racing Manager, available on Google Play and the App Store. Gives you the chance to do all of the driver signing decisions, the upgrade decisions, where you invest in staff, in facilities, what you do in terms of the key decisions commercially, what sponsors you take on, etc. All of those choices that we're used to seeing Formula One teams making, you get the chance to have a go and show how good you'll be yourself. And of course, for somebody like myself, who spends most of their time analysing and critiquing what goes on in the real world, it's a great chance for me to show how bad I'd be if I was running the real thing. Team Order Racing Manager, available on Google Play and through the App Store. Well, let's go back to George Russell at Williams. Of course, it's not just about George Russell himself, but also the knock-on effects on the driver market. Now, one name that has cropped up briefly in passing is Esteban Ocon, like George Russell and Mercedes Jr., Ocon is the guy who's who's frozen out. He's been a very, very strong performer for Racing Point Force India this year. And he's still kind of next in line to be a Mercedes driver. Bottas, of course, got a new a new one-year deal. So, Scott, you might have assumed that if there was going to be a Mercedes junior on the grid, it's Ocon who's who's first in the queue and probably still is first in the queue. So what why hasn't he been put into to Williams? Obviously he's had this long chain of events with uh, he missed out on Renault. He's missed out on Mercedes. He's missed out on Force India. He's, he's missed out, out on McLaren. Missed out on McLaren. He's he's missed out on on seats with half half of the grid. Meanwhile, everyone is un- unanimously in agreement that he's really good. <laughs> so he's in this extraordinary situation. I feel much like everybody in F one. I feel an enormous amount of sympathy for Esteban, but not to the point where I feel sorry for him that Russell's got the Williams drive and he hasn't. I see basically zero benefit for Ocon being in a Williams next year certainly if the alternative is Mercedes can either put together a proper test and development plan for him bring him in as reserve driver get him in the team get him embedded let him know exactly how it works get him track time in in, in the Mercedes and, and and all the rest to just make sure that if there are any doubts about Bottas or if there's the possibility of um changing it up for 2020 then there's absolutely going to be no doubt about whether Ocon's ready because they can do all of that with him next year uh, you never know maybe there's maybe there's something absolutely bonkers in the works maybe Perez's expected retention at Force India doesn't doesn't come off and, and Ocon stays there for a year maybe the most unlikely event occurs and Red Bull agrees to take a Mercedes driver on loan at Toro Rosso I, I don't see it happening personally I, I think it will be Stroll and Perez at Force India and Toro Rosso and Red Bull will do their own thing and Ocon will be on the sidelines. And I think if he is, Mercedes and Ocon can use this as an opportunity to further his own ambitions and use this not as a as a setback in his career, but as a way to use it as a bigger springboard for 2020. Yeah, I think that makes that makes total sense. What's the point in if, if Ocon blows away to Rockin next year? Who who cares? You know, he's already matched well against Perez, who everyone rates higher than anyway. So yeah, you're absolutely. I think I feel I feel happier for Ocon being in that situation. Than I do for Stoffel Van Dorn's situation, who is someone else who who is too good to be lost to F1 at this stage. But it looks like it's going to happen. Whereas Ocon, you think he's probably going to get back in the door somehow. Well, this is the thing. It's not like with Van Dorn. It's like he's been he's been thrown off the boat and he's not even they've not even tossed him a life jacket or something like that he's just on his own whereas Ocon clearly has a link to to get back and maybe that's why okay Toto Wolff has been pretty flat out in how, how unhappy he is at some of the politics that have gone on behind the scenes and cost Ocon a drive but it's also why he's pretty adamant I'm not going to let him go because a lot of teams have said including Red Bull well we won't take him while he's got Merck links so if Merck are really bothered about the best for their driver in the short term, you release him, let him go and stay on the grid. But they know that he doesn't need to stay on the grid next season. They know that he's he's bigger and better than a drive in a middling team or a back of the grid team, team in 2019. It's really important for Ocon to be an F1. He's so good. He's so highly rated. His performances merit it. But it's not so important that he takes it wherever a seat arises. You know, he's, it's not a case of being F1 at any, at any cost. And maybe... Maybe Mercedes realised this a little while ago and, and have been sort of plotting an alternative that helps him in longer term. And, and also, you know, the, the difference is that Van Dorn is a failed F1 driver now, unfortunately. Personally, I think 
he's been a victim of the whole McLaren situation and where I saw Rosso I'd sign him in a heartbeat and you think they've got a really good driver there you can you can rehabilitate whereas Ocon is basically he's going to be the first person anyone calls if if a space comes up unexpectedly uh, next year and I think he can use the time assuming he doesn't get one of the other seats through something uh, something unlikely happening he'll spend the season with Mercedes really embedded in team learning understanding and just building up that data and just generally being an annoying presence in uh, in Valtteri Bottas's peripheral I was vision. Say, it basically puts the pressure on Bottas doesn't it to, yeah. to, to deliver and, and Bottas does need to just just does need to step up he, he had a strong first part of the season but once Hamilton hit form and so it's the that, same as so last year step, isn't it yeah exactly so that's the that's the concerning concerning thing and I think Mercedes just want to see a little bit more from uh, from Bottas so it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, how that progresses and uh, you know drivers highly rated drivers have have not suffered too much from from years out Mika Hakkinen is a good comparison because Ocon's missing a seat through an unusual set of circumstances, just as Hakkinen, who'd done two years with Lotus, McLaren signed him, and then they had that strange situation with Senna not driving for them, and then he would. And so they had Michael Andretti signed, and then they went into the season with Senna on a race-by-race, basically. So Hakkinen was kind of barred from the seat by that unusual situation. And, of course, he came in three races from the end of the year when Andretti left after, uh, after his podium at Monza, which people often forget. And then he got in and he out-qualified Senna in Estoril and was running, I think he was second early on, wasn't he, when, uh, with a Lacey leading. So we've seen drivers like that. Nico Hülkenberg, obviously not quite as successful as, as Hakkinen, but he got ousted by Williams when they decided to take Pastor Maldonado, who was GP2 champion, like Russell might well be, F2, replacing GP2, of course. But of course, the Maldonado deal was a financially driven decision that left Hülkenberg out and then he got back in through Force India. So if you're well-regarded and highly rated, you should get back in see what you're making me want now Ed and this is no disrespect to Bottas is for Ocon to join Lewis at Mercedes in 2020 uh, which has should be quite a good test for Hamilton because he's not had a sort of up and coming teammate he's sort of obviously he was the up and coming guy when he was with Alonso he was partly with Jensen or Kovalainen in between which wasn't a huge challenge for him um, maybe the first time he'd have a sort of real up and coming rising star alongside him and that could be interesting of course it's a test that Vettel's going to have next year Exactly, exactly, and this is the test that all the all the great drivers face. They inevitably face a moment, except the occasional one who quits at the top of their game, which there aren't many of. But you get this point where there's like the, the star of the next generation who's going to be racing ten, twelve years longer than the established star, and you have to meet that challenge. It's always interesting because the best drivers, provided they've got the determination, they usually rise, as you were saying, Kev, to, to meet that challenge. So that's what we. It's going to be fascinating to see how much Hamilton rises when you get this next generation of drivers coming coming through. It's going to be uh, fascinating. Now, we should say, Scott, Williams still haven't got a second driver announced. We know Stroll is going to be off to uh, Racing Point Force India. Not officially announced, but it's going to happen. Sergei Sorokin and his SMP backing is kind of at the front of the queue, and I actually think he's had a pretty decent season, all things considered. Do we expect him to be in there, or, or is it still a little bit up in the air? Well, it's yeah, it's not it's not done. I think Sorokin and his camp are probably fairly confident they can get it done. He's done quite well this season. I think he's compared favourably to Stroll in qualifying, which is uh you know, no mean feat for a rookie coming into this era of F one. Um I I think he's done he's done a decent job. He's he's endeared himself to the team with his work ethic and and the way he goes about his business. He's spends him. a lot of time at the factory. He got himself a, a flat nearby. And everything. Yeah, spends too much time at the factory. He was telling us uh, if he could uh, do this year again, he'd probably maybe make life a little less hard for himself. But he's got the right attitude. He's a very intelligent, switched on guy, and he's a good racing driver. People again, you mentioned it at the very beginning that pe- people don't maybe give him and Stroll the credit they deserve for what they are as racing drivers. Uh, he's not a Russell. So if he sticks around, he'll, I suspect, get beaten. But it's a good opportunity for him to, to prove himself. Uh, he's not gonna. He doesn't win any plaudits from beating Stroll. No one rates Stroll. But if he sticks around and sort of gives it a go against Russell, then then I don't think I don't think people will necessarily downgrade Russell as a result. I think they will mark Sorokin up. <laughs> you're looking at me so uh, well I thought you were about to say uh, something sage and insightful Kev uh, well, well, well that would be a first wouldn't I, it I've been waiting half an hour for you to do so 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Would people think that? I, it depends. It could go either way. But I mean, what you, what I would expect to see next year is that Russell does to Sorokin what Leclerc did to Ericsson. You know, been waiting for someone to do that job on Ericsson, who we know is a good driver, but not a great F1 driver. And Verline couldn't do it, but, but Leclerc did, and bang, he's straight into a, a top drive. Um, and I'd kind of expect Russell to do a similar job on Sorokin next year, really. Yeah, I think that, that George Russell's going to go in there and look at it and say, right, that's a beatable teammate, but a, but a good enough teammate to, for it to be worth beating if you, if you uh, yeah, see fair. what I mean. Because obviously the Leclerc Ericsson situation, Ericsson's another driver who's fairly underrated, but he's he's compared okay to drivers like Felipe Nazo and Pascal Wehrlein in the past. And actually, although people tend to say, well, is Leclerc that good? Because look, Ericsson got beaten by those drivers, but the, the gap in performance for Leclerc to Ericsson Enormous. compared to those two is, yeah none of them tucked him up like is that a, is a, a sort of step change step change different and you know if if you're a if you're a really starved rookie you will yeah, and the good thing is Russell's got a multi-year deal with, with Williams so he could be there two or three years and really have the chance to kind of make it his team as Williams hopefully climbs up the grid I mean Williams winning races is pretty fanciful but it's not actually that far from where Williams is up to kind of fourth at the moment, the front of Class B. If they can make that stride and just get at least in among the midfield, by which I mean in amongst the midfield and people who've got a shot at scoring in a in a normal race, which has been very rare for, for Williams this year, then that's a nice platform for for them to to work on. And Russell can uh, can maybe be part of that, or perhaps he's absolutely stellar and someone else falls out of favour, and then everyone's clamouring over him and Mercedes have to decide if they need to put him in over Ocon or if someone else is going to get him. It's always the ever-shifting sands in the in the, in the driver market. But it's, I think we'll agree that Russell is, has got what it takes to, to cut it at this level. He's, not, he's certainly not going to be overawed, is he? Well, it says a lot that we're talking about the quality of the car for a rookie. <laughs> we're not doubting that he can do the job. We're thinking, always well, he got the machinery for, to be able to show it? Um, so, yeah, he's absolutely... I think he's, pr- he's pr- probably as ready as a driver can be before getting into F1. Yes, it's just very exciting. Looking forward to see what he's capable of, looking forward to see what Williams produces. And it's exactly the same conversation as we would have been having about Leclerc 12 months ago. Is right, what is this team going to give him? How much of what his ability are we going to see? It's not a case of, is he good enough to do this? It's how much of, how much of what he's good at are we going to see? Yeah, and it's good that Williams are putting their faith in him it says a lot I think it's going to be a fantastic subclass it's going to be fallen giant teams with rookie British drivers next year it's going to be an interesting little battle between him and Norris just to pick up on something you said there about Williams putting their faith in him I think it's worth clarifying because there will be a few people that see this as uh, Merck putting their driver at Williams but commercially doesn't make sense in modern F1 to do deals to pay teams to run your drivers to knock off a 10, 15 million pound engine cost, whatever it is. And if you look historically in this in- engine era, when, what evidence is there to suggest that Williams has any kind of relationship like that with Mercedes? They've not run Merck Juniors. Uh, Merck had to pay quite handsomely to get Bottas. When that happened, they brought back Massa. They didn't run Verline or anyone like that. And Force India, when they went into administration, we learned that they owed Merck money. So why would they owe Merck money if Merck were paying them to run Ocon? That, like, I, I, I get why people think that because of Williams's position in the last couple of years and what it's done with its drivers this year, that why this sudden massive philosophy change? Why have they decided, oh, we're just going to put a mega driver in the car instead of take the money in, in the season that they're losing Martini and losing Stroll? But I, I think it's a... I think it's a realisation that that strategy of putting money over performance was the wrong strategy. And there is also a little bit of money to be gained by good results from your drivers, isn't there, Ed, because of championship position and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, as a, as a small influence. I think Williams have been quite stung by the, the pay driver accusations. Always look back to famously when they were running Honda engines in the 80s. There was basically Honda said, right, well, put, put Satoru Nakajima in. And they said, well, no. And basically, as a result of that, they lost the Honda engine deal. And had to have that year with Judds, and then of course they rose again with, with the Renault deal. And then, because Williams's financial situation, there was a similar situation, sort of history coming round with Kazuki Nakajima, where it wasn't Toyota stipulating it, but when they supplied Williams, it was either they paid for it on the normal basis, or they had the option to have it for free and put Kazuki Nakajima in. And Kazuki Nakajima's no, no mean driver. He's, he actually had a pretty good first season. His second season was very disappointing, but 
Williams had to do that because of their financial situation. And it's interesting. There's obviously been a little bit of a soul, a little bit of soul searching there. And I think perhaps they feel the risk is justified because they want to say, look, we are a serious racing team, not just not just driven by by having to take pay drivers. But it, I don't necessarily blame them for what they did with taking pay drivers because they're a team. They don't have shareholders with bottomless pits of money. You know, look at what McLaren's done with Honda. The amount of money that's that's cost them, and then having the Bahraini ownership putting money in and that kind of thing. Williams doesn't have that, so there's a responsibility to the company and to the employees to keep it operating sensibly. And it's been competing against teams like Force India, which in their previous form were effectively financially dysfunctional, as we've seen from all of the debts that are still outstanding from the from the old team. Of course, Racing Point Force India is the same team, but it's technically a new team because of the way it's had to be entered. So, I think we should give them credit as well for being more bold with this one because it is it is high risk because the the ticket price for an F1 seat is pretty high provided you can find a driver with a super license point who's got cash so it, it's an admirable move I think it's also offset slightly by the fact that the second driver will bring budget that whether it's Sirotkin whether it's Artem Markalov obviously he's uh, implicated now because of uh, this the, his, his father's situation involved in a major bribery case in, in, in Russia so we don't know if or how that, that, that might affect Artem's F1 hopes um, but you know even Robert Kubitzer who's not given up on making an F1 comeback he, he managed to get together a, a small not not to Sorokin standards or anything like that but he, he, he would bring budget with him as well so they, they, they will still be looking at, at adding money Oh, absolutely, because it doesn't make sense to go racing if it's not commercially viable. That is unfortunately the nature of of, of modern F one because it's elite sport and it's and it's so so professional now. But it's good that Williams is. In fact, it's not good. It's great that Williams have picked someone and just got it's a bit quite old fashioned, isn't it? It's oh, this guy's mega. He's winning everything underneath uh, underneath F one. Yeah, we'll have him. Put him in the car. That's that's pretty good to see. It's an interesting equation, and I think. Williams are very aware of what their heritage is and what the team stands for. And I think they're also aware of other things like you want to be able to say to your workforce, well, we've got the best possible driver in this car. And we know, you know I mean, obviously Lance Stroll has, uh, has had his ups and downs, a good driver, but there are sort of question marks about, about the approach there. So I think it's, it's, it's positive all round from the, for the, the seriousness of the, of the team, provided of course he uh, he delivers, and you, you never know when a driver steps up whether they're going to struggle to deal with the, the extra pressure and the extra scrutiny or whatever. But to be honest, if ever a driver looked capable of of hacking that, it's, it's George Russell, isn't it? He's a, he's someone who seems very in in control of himself. Uh, I think he, he, he always yeah he didn't in the Mabba test he didn't look phased with all the different cars that like Scott was saying limited running he you know he could see that Norris was getting Lando Norris was getting all the kudos coming into the F two season he didn't care about that he just got on with his job and he's delivered six wins he's thirty seven points ahead going to the final round so yeah he's 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 there he's ready to go he he performs at his best in high pressure moments and that's always a a, a great uh, indicator of how good someone is. At- Back, you think back to the end of 2014. He was almost, uh, he was almost about to throw away the BRDCF4 title, not necessarily through fault of his own, but because of the way circumstances were going, it looked really unlikely. But he went and did a wild card round in the Formula Renault Euro Cup. He won there. He came back and he stole the BRDCF4 title for a brilliant final round. And then a week later, or a few days later, he performed brilliantly in the McLaren Autosport BRDC Award Tests and, and won that. And it was a really crunch time at the end of his debut season when he was only 16 and that was the, the an indicator of what the guy was capable of and now he's come up he's he's won GP3 picked up Merck support he's done the business in F2 against against a guy like Lando Norris and against other guys that are, that are extremely highly rated when the pressure was on this season he knew that he had basically this year to prove himself and earn a, a quick graduation to F1 and I think it says a lot about his ability that in this incredibly turbulent driver market He's emerged with an F1 seat. Well, it's going to be a great story to follow. Williams, a uh, recovering team with a potential rise, rising star British driver. So that's one to uh, to keep a close eye on. I suggest everyone heads to autosport.com to read all the latest news from Formula One and the, the world of motorsport. 
uh, the plus subscriber area where for a small fee you can get to read what the world's leading motorsport journalists are saying obviously scott mitchell himself has written a piece about uh, george russell and esteban ockham which you can have a look at on there all sport magazine out every thursday george russell i don't think it'll be breaking any secrets will be on the cover of our next issue with yeah uh, another another young brit on the cover exactly uh scott's uh scott's in-depth interview with george russell and also my attempt to explain exactly what has gone wrong for williams this season uh, also check out sister titles f1 racing magazine out monthly and motorsport.com and for those who fancy a flutter download the pit stop betting app which allows you to bet on formula one indycar nascar MotoGP, the lot thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just two fifty. dollars Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.